stream audience and also in the uh, main auditorium there and also right here in the Fellowship Center. Uh, the latest I heard on Mike was I talked to him this morning about 6, 6.15, uh, feeling pretty good. Well, actually wasn't feeling too good. It was in the emergency room. Uh, but he was uh, talking and uh, I think maybe some food poison or something. They're waiting on some tests in a room is the last I heard. So, Mike, you have been prayed for multiple times this morning. And, uh, brother, we hope you feel better real quick and, and get back to us. i uh, got a few things going on. I want to echo uh, a little bit about uh, the tonight, Kingdom Kids Live. Look, if you got kids, or even if you don't have kids, come on up. I'm coming. It'll be great. I love what they're doing. I love the fact that they're, they're doing what happens upstairs. They're bringing downstairs so we can be a part of and we can be encouraged as well. Look, when it was uh, back in the day... Uh, some of you will remember when it was Bible Hour Live. Uh, that was when my kids came through and when uh, they helped with it. And I'm telling you, Cynthia and Dana and uh, Tommy and Jason and all those guys do a fantastic job and so many others pouring into our children and speaking life into them and coming alongside you as parents. So please come be a part of that tonight. Uh, next week, uh, really exciting time. A One Kingdom Sunday, this is our Mission Sunday where every, everything that is given in our offering that day goes out of here and goes to the many places throughout the world that we have partners and a lot of great, exciting stuff. This has happened for years. We do work on a 50-week budget so that, that we can work, use, use uh, that, that at least one of those Sundays towards missions and, and everything, again, raised that day. There's a, we're going to have, this is a special one because there's, this is the 60th anniversary of World Radio, which becomes One Kingdom whenever it's all melded together uh, with, with relief. Uh, we've got seven different, uh, spe- uh, seven different World Radio speakers, One Kingdom speakers that are coming in from seven different countries. Uh, so it's going to be a great time. Saturday night, you're all invited to a reception uh, starting at 5 o'clock uh, to meet and greet and talk and, and know more about that. If you are planning on coming, uh, give us a holler here at the church, 396-6000, so that uh, we can know and have enough, uh, enough food for you. Um, also, next week, uh, it's a, such a special time. We're pulling all together in the main auditorium. And in here at 9 o'clock, there will be one Bible class uh, or class time. Our normal classes won't meet. we one in here in one service in that location. So a lot going on, and if you're wondering what everything I just said, check the app. It's on there. And so you don't have to remember all that. Just go check it out. Our scripture reader today is Lily Poole. Come on up, Lily. Uh, I had the great privilege of of praying for Lily last year. You knew that, didn't you, that, I, that you were, I, I picked your name last year and prayed for you all school year? You remember? I think you've been to the house and saw your picture on my, on my refrigerator. It's still there. So I still think and pray for you multiple times a day. I go to the refrigerator a lot. And so every time I do, I think about you, and that's why I tell Miss Karen, why, why are you in the refrigerator? I want to pray for Lily. Well, you don't have to get anything out of it. You don't have to open the refrigerator to pray for Lily. So she's going to read our scripture today for us. and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. Luke ten twenty-seven through 28. Excellent. Excellent. Beautiful job. Thank you. 
we are in Luke chapter 10 today. Thank you, Lily. Beautiful job. And this is really the, uh, the crux of this text uh, because he really does. And you've heard this text before. In fact, you're very familiar. Uh, even if you are new to your walk in Christ, you're very familiar with the story and, and the parable and all the goings-on that's, that's happening in this text. It is the story and the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and, and Lily took that verse that Jesus said, uh, uh, the, and he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's like, hey, you know, what's, what's the summation of all this? What's, what's really important here? He's like, you love your neighbor just yourself. You go do this, and you'll, you, you'll live. But something else happens. Let's spend a little time uh, in here. The setting, let's, let's spend the first couple of verses, chapter 10, verse 25, uh, to kind of get the setup before we get to the parable. On one occasion, Luke 10, 25, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Okay, bad move. You know, first, there's a couple of bad moves that this guy does here. Just, you know, just one, don't, don't test the teacher. You know, just, I mean, especially when he's the creator of the universe. You know, just don't do that. Anyways, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? How, does, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your mind and strength, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Mistake number two. But he wanted to justify himself. One, that can't happen, guys. There's no way we can justify ourselves. As Gary just got through wonderfully saying from Isaiah 6. I might look pretty good to myself, but whenever I look at the throne of God, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. This guy did not have that. Wanting to justify himself, well, who is my neighbor? Mistake number two, don't challenge. Uh, You know, this guy was an expert in the law, and it meant that he not only studied the law, but he knew it inside and out. Not only just the law and had it memorized, most of them by this point had it memorized by this time. It was an oral tradition where they would, they would pass these things along and, and a good young Jewish man would, uh, would have these things memorized by this time in their life. So he had it. He could quote it. You talk about quoting Scripture. I'm, a, I'm of, the, of the thought that, yeah, I can memorize things, but why do I have to memorize it if it's written down? I just go find it. But Scripture memory is a good thing. This guy had it all memorized. But not only that, but also he studied what everybody said about it. There were these teachers, and you had these uh, schools of thoughts. If you, if you, you remember whenever you were in school, and you're like, ooh, who did you get for math? That one, ooh, that's not a good teacher. You're going to struggle. Or you, everybody wanted this particular teacher, and because they were good, they were easy, they would help you, or you know, whatever the case was. Same thing in, in this t- day and time. They had these rabbinical teachers, these rabbis, these teachers that had these schools of thought, and people would align themselves with them. And so this is what this text means, and they would put all these, all these extras to it. And so what they did was, I, I aligned myself with this teacher. Well, I aligned myself with this teacher. I aligned myself with this teacher. And you had all these schools of thoughts, and they would come together, and they would argue it. What happened was, they started to elevate what their teacher said to the same level as the law. And they made men's opinions 
law and they started binding them. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, you have heard it said, but I tell you. That's why it comes along in a couple of places. says, woe to you, teachers of the law. You bind things on people that I didn't bind, that my father didn't bind, and you don't even lift, lift a finger to help them. He really got on to them for that. The principle of this is be good students of the Word. When you're good students of the Word, it leads to asking the right questions. This guy was asking the wrong questions. Oftentimes, we ask questions of the text that the original readers would never ask. And it leads us down a path that gets us nowhere. Or we begin to make applications the original authors never intended to be made. How many times have we, have we asked ourselves, what does this mean to me? And that's not a bad question, but it never really intended what, what the original writer never intended. Let's be good students of the Word. When we bind things, our opinions, and even our traditions as law, it's dangerous territory. We become legalistic and no one can keep it. He goes one step further in here and he says, Who's my neighbor? Can't you hear the, the drip of, of arrogance there? Who's my neighbor? Well, it's like whenever I was in school here and we would ask a question and one of our teachers, Bill Smith, uh, those of you who remember Bill, was pretty good about this. He would ask, we'd ask, he would answer, and then you'd want to go a little bit further, and if you challenged him, he would unload. And you're just like trying to get a, a drink of water out of a fire hydrant. It's just, <sighs> okay, that's enough, that's enough. That's all I can handle right now. So Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. So he gets to the parable, verse, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, the unlikely hero here, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. This, uh, this is a very haunting text for me because it steps all over my toes, as we'll see. So we've got a few people here. One, the traveler. Obviously a Jewish guy, uh, as we find out later in the text. Uh, traveling through a precarious area. You know, it's those, it's those areas where you know you can go to. In this, you know, if, if you're from here or from your hometown, you know areas you can be and, and know what time you need to get out of those areas before trouble hits. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, no, no, don't, don't go down there. I remember one time I was... Uh, in New Orleans, uh, whenever this was years and years ago, and we had a, uh, I worked at the Methodist Children's Home in Ruston for a number of years, and uh, I took a kid, uh, one of my clients, down to New Orleans. He was from there, and uh, we had a meeting, and anyways, just a lot of stuff going on, and and so we had some time to kill, and I said, hey, I want you to show me where you live. He said, okay, and I'm driving around New Orleans, you know. 
I mean, I lived there when I was real little, but I didn't really know much or travel or venture around much. Just So he said, well, this is where I lived, and my grandmother lived here. And I said, he said, now that road down there, and I turned down it. He said, what are you doing? I was like, well, I'm going down this road. He said, you don't need to come down here, Mr. David. You don't need to do that. He said, just don't stop. I was fine until he said that. And then literally, I promise you, he scooted down in the... In, in the car so he couldn't be seen he said i know that guy over there and he scooted down i was like oh fortunately i didn't stop and kept going so you know you know where to go and where not to go uh in your hometown and where it's good and where it's not good this was not a good road to be on this was a treacherous road this is like mm, i'm not we're going to do it it's the short way but we're going to go there obviously the priest and the levite were on the same road so this guy is obviously jewish he's in a bad spot and he knew he, this was a precarious situation. But you know what he didn't ask for? He didn't ask to be robbed. He didn't ask to be beat up. He didn't ask to be left half dead. He didn't ask for that. He was attacked by bad people. He was attacked by people with evil intent. This guy's just going to Jerusalem on his way. He didn't ask for this. But yet he finds himself naked, half beaten, beaten, Half to death, robbed with nothing. Half dead means you're half what? You're half alive. Alive enough to suffer. Alive enough to feel alone. Alive enough to feel the reality of your situation. Uh, alive enough to feel desperate for what's next. You ever been there? Some of you feel half alive today or half dead. Alive enough just to say, this is not a good place. I'm really struggling. Two people walk by. The priest and the Levite. Both Jews. Jesus could have chosen anyone in this, put in this parable. But he chose these two people to make his point. To drive his point home. These two, you see, were uniquely designated in their nation to provide aid and support and to help people. They had a pass on other things that they could go and they could, they could be the first line of help when things came to them. The priest, a higher order, he was the one that could administer help and, and was expected to. A Levite came from that same tribe. They knew the law better than anybody. They were the ones that could have helped and probably should have helped. I'm sure there were many reasons why they didn't or in their mind couldn't stop Oh, there's blood, there's a, uh, maybe he's dead, I can't do anything with that. Their whole thing, I'm busy, I've got to get to Jerusalem, they're expecting me. Whatever the list is, they couldn't stop or didn't stop. You know, this really does hit home. Uh, for us who are elders, for us, those of us who are on staff, those who are ministry leaders, um, it's why it's haunting because we're in that position of these Levites and these priests. A lot of people come here for help. And we want to be, we're cognizant. I mean, there are times it keeps you up at night thinking, did we do enough? Should we have done something different? Because we don't want to be those people who pass by. We don't want to just say, here you go, go on about your way and send you down the road. We want to. Sometimes you don't know how to help. Sometimes you don't know what to do. 
And so this is a haunting thing. There are situations this week. There are times that, that, that we dealt with. We didn't know what to do and couldn't do anything. And some of the things that we did weren't enough. And so those things wreck you inside. And you, have, and you rethink those things. All of our ministry leaders, whether they be on staff or lay ministry leaders, we all think that. Why? Because we want to help. We've been called to help. And sometimes you just don't know what to do with that. This is haunting. There are many times I've missed it. Many times I missed it. I've told you, I think before, um, when I was up, we were young interns uh, here, and um, we were in California after the earthquake back in the 80s, and um, Mike Williams and I were looking for something, went to a payphone you know, uh, back in the day, and some guy was asking for something and asking for money because he had an ulcer and needed some milk, and I'm like, no, I don't have anything for you. And I went and was on the phone, and Mike gave him some money. And he went in, and he bought milk for his ulcer. Well, I felt about that big. Mike got it. I missed it. And so I was like, okay, I'll give you money. Here you go. <laughs> it made me feel better. But it didn't. You know, I, we miss it. We miss it sometimes. And we mess up. There was the guy that stopped, though. The one who stopped. The Samaritan. Not the one you would expect to stop. He saw him in the words where he took pity on him or he had compassion. Literally, it was, he was moved physically to do something. Something moved in him. You ever had that moment where you see something and you're like, ooh, I've got to go meet that need. I've got to do it. Nothing can keep me from doing that. And you actually feel that. You feel the hurt. You see someone in hurting and you are just so mad at the enemy because of what they've done and they're crying and you're crying with them and they're just hurting and you don't know what to say or do, but you can just sit there with them and you can just hurt with them and you can, you can pray and you can whatever. You want to alleviate the need. That's what this guy did. He felt it physically. There was a difference that in him. Three people saw this guy, this broken, robbed, naked, bleeding guy, left half dead to suffer to death. Three people saw him. Only one was moved by their compassion. He didn't see a different nationality or a race. A Samaritan and a Jew didn't get along. They despised one another. In fact, it was not even legal for a Jew to associate with a Samaritan. He didn't see the barriers to the situation. He was going just like the other two guys to Jerusalem and needed to get there. He, I'm sure he had things to do. He didn't see that, 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 that all of a sudden became less important because here was a hurt person, a human being made in the image of God that needed help, that needed touching. He didn't see or filter his help through the animosity that he had received from this Jewish guy or this nation. You don't like me, so why should I help you? He didn't see it that way. He didn't go in and say, I don't trust this guy. I'm not so sure. I'm going to keep an arm's length away. Uh, you know, Somebody else will come along. He didn't do that. It was crystal clear what needed to happen. And he did. He stopped what he was doing. He got off his donkey, oil, wine, bandaged him up, put him on there, and he began the journey to wherever he was going, took care of him further with what he, took care of the immediate need, and then, and then 
said, hey, here's some money. Continue to take care of this guy. Taking care of people is costly, isn't it? It costs money. A lot of time. And sometimes in a lot of, a lot of emotional and, and cognitive bandwidth. Like, I'm not sure what to do with you. But we're going to stay here. I remember a guy... I was about 18 years old, hadn't been a Christian very long. He responded one Sunday night in that room when we still had church on Sunday night. In that room on a Sunday night and said, I've been struggling with drugs for a long, long time. And I'm told, I wasn't in a position to know at that point, I'm told that the leadership here said, you know what? We don't know what to do with you, but keep, just keep, keep coming back. Just don't go. Just don't leave. And that was Mac Owen. And since 1987, there's been something for some type of recovery ministry here. And the Lord, we, the leadership there didn't know what to do, and the leadership now doesn't sometimes know what to do, but you know what? The Lord does. And our goal is just to be obedient to Him, to see the need, to see past whatever is going on, to see past the busyness and say, you know what, here's a person in need and I'm just going to speak life, sometimes just sit with and not even know what to say, but I sure can love. And sometimes that takes a lot of time. But here's the thing that this guy did. He said this, when I come back, he circled back to him. How many times have people circled in and out of our lives. I love it. I've been here a while. I started doing youth ministry years ago. And, and, and it's, it's fun because you get to circle, you know, they, they circle out and then you circle back in at different times. And, and it's, it's always a beautiful thing. Uh, but boy, don't we see that? Um, I can't remember who it was, but someone um, recently came, was here a while, then they left a while. And went back into the world and then got, got, got their head straight again and they, they, they came back. And I, several people hugged and said, welcome home. And they're like, I didn't think anybody would remember me. I'm like, oh yeah, your family, your family. And that happens. People circle in, they circle out. Just keep coming back. Just keep coming home. I'm glad you know where to land. He came back. There will always be times we can circle back. Health and healing come from a lot of different places. And a lot of different people. There's the initial contact where someone says, hey, what got you here? We'll come over here. And then there's that, I don't know where to send you. That happened Friday night. Uh, we met somebody, Karen and I did. I didn't know what to do. So I'm like, I don't know what to, what to tell you. But I found somebody who did. And it's just everybody pouring in. You never know who that will be. There's the circle back. And I can't wait to this Friday night because the last thing she told Karen and I was like, well, I guess I'll see you next Friday. Well, if I wasn't going to be here Friday, guess what? I am now. <laughs> and so we're going to hopefully circle back to her. All moved from a heart of compassion because of that. Because that guy moved from compassion, felt it inside of us, and that's how we are. Well, here's the challenge. Verse 36. Jesus asked the guy, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So here's the challenge. Don't be one that passes by. 
Don't look and notice and dismiss people in need. They've gotten a lot of that. Michael Lyles is a Christian psychiatrist that uh, I've been to a couple of his things back when I was in the counseling world and uh, went to a seminar he did one time. And he said once he begins to treat his patients and tries to get them into a spiritual community, uh, he said these are the frequent questions I get whenever I try to connect people to churches. These are the questions that his patients ask. Is it safe to be honest here? And this is the question. Yes, we need to ask ourselves at this church. Is it safe to be honest here? Will I face rejection and blame? Will anyone listen to me? Will I just get preached at? Will anyone walk with me through the pain? Will I get abandoned? Can I find hope? Is Jesus relevant to my situation? These are questions that his clients, his patients, ask him about churches. Those questions probably a lot of times come from hurt situations when because they've not experienced necessarily the good. I pray we are a church that stops for the broken and the beaten. Further, I pray we're the ones that settle the fears of those who are broken and beaten, that they find family and they find a home. Do we do it well? Sometimes. Sometimes not. So we're always trying to do what Jesus calls us to do. The other challenge is this. This is, this is to those who have been hurt. Don't resent those who pass by. It doesn't improve your situation. There will be people who don't know what, who should do something but don't. Don't resent those. Keep showing up. Keep coming back. Keep being here. Well, I tell you what, I went down there and they didn't even look at me. Well, keep on showing your face and we'll see you. You know what I mean? Just don't be resentful. That just feeds the hurt. Don't hide your brokenness. You may not be bleeding and busted up on the side of the road, but you still may be broken and bleeding inside. This is for all of us. Don't hide your brokenness behind smiles and silence. Don't sit on the side of the road and say, hey, you need anything? No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. All good. I'll, I'll manage. I'm fine. No, I don't want to be a burden. We're good. Go on. I'll catch up with you later. Don't be that person. Give people the opportunity to help. It takes some humility, doesn't it? It takes some openness and some vulnerability, and it's scary. It's scary to be vulnerable. It is so scary. I have a huge stronghold in my life. I don't want to be a bother. But I don't think that's, I'm the only one that feels that way. I don't want to be a bother. Guess what? We're not a bother. We, we give people the opportunity to serve. Keep showing up. And the other challenge is this. Who stopped for you? Who stopped when you were broken and bleeding and hiding and didn't know what to do or say, or even how to utter words, and maybe had the physical or emotional ability to ask for help. Who stopped? Who sat with? Who held? Who didn't know what to say? Who did that for you? Who's the one that invited you? Who's the one that showed up? Be grateful for that person. And when you're healthy enough, you be the one who stops.
Let's not be the people who stop. Oh, excuse me. I said that wrong, didn't I? Just make sure you were listening. I'm glad I caught it. Just invalidated everything I just said. Let's be the people who stop. Let's not be the people who pass by on the other side. We don't want to be so inward focused. Look, it's fun to be here. It's fun to hug. It's fun to laugh. It's fun to uh, see each other and, and be a part of each other's life. But let's not be so inward focused that we miss the half-alive people we come in contact with. Our world is full of nameless, vulnerable, robbed, stripped, deserted, alone, afraid, half-dead people. We're here to bind wounds. Some of those wounds are hidden behind smiles, behind silence. Let's be the people who stop. That's what Jesus says. You do this, you stop and help those, and you will live. Let's pray. Father, for a haunting text, for a, uh, for a parable that just steps all over my toes and all over my heart and really kind of wrecks my mind sometimes because I know we don't always do this well. I don't always do this well. I know many times I have, I have passed by on the other side. So, Lord, I repent of that. I repent of being that Pharisee, of that teacher of the law that wants to justify himself. I repent of being that Levite and that priest who was called to do this but didn't. So we do pray for discernment. We pray that when we are following you, that even inside of our physical beings, we feel the movement of compassion. Thank you for being the father of that compassion, the initiator of that compassion. Thank you for being so moved to invade planet Earth, to become one of us, to, uh, to die, to show us compassion, to heal and bind us up, and to continue to circle back into our lives and lead our lives. Thank you so much. May we be your people on this earth. May we be the ones that perpetually and always stop for the broken. Through Jesus. Amen. We do have an invitation. There will be people down front to pray with you, to celebrate with you, and whatever the need is. So you do that while we stand and sing.